Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. Hello, I'm your host, Netta Gorman, and I've been living happily sugar-free for over five years, almost six now, and loving it. And that's why I created this podcast, and you can find all of the episodes on my website at aftersugarclub.com forward slash podcast. This week, I'm talking to Graham Curry, who is the author of a book about his own story of how he lost over 130 pounds with intermittent fasting. His book is called The Fasting Highway, and he also has a podcast about it with the same name. All right, so Graham, great to meet you. We are on opposite sides of the planet, right? You're in Australia, right? Yes, thank you so much for um, inviting me onto your podcast, Netta. I thoroughly enjoy it, and I've been uh, listening to your episodes, and congratulations. Well, same here, same here. Thank you. So, Graham, will you tell me a little bit about what your life was like before you stopped sugar and before you started intermittent fasting? Sure. Well, I guess I'll wind the clock back right to my sort of early teens. And it wasn't until I was about 14 that I first heard somebody call me fat. I overheard a discussion between my mum and dad. And mum said to dad, oh, Graham's getting really fat. And it really sent me into a tailspin, you know, like a, these are my heroes talking about me and mum saying that I was fat. And then my parents bought a convenience store. And then I spent three years of my youth working in the convenience store. And I spent a lot of time in the storeroom, drinking Coke, eating chips, lollies, you name it, all the wrong things. And I just gorged myself silly. And I just got bigger and bigger. And my school years became pretty tough because as I got more obese, um, I come up against a few bullies at school that because there wasn't many obese kids at my school and I stood out. And so these bullies really got stuck into me and it became a fight for survival, really. But and then I left school and um, my first job, I found out what uh, discrimination was. I had a job in, in a butcher shop and um, the, the manager hired me. The owner of the shop came in a couple of weeks later and said, what's that fat guy doing out in front of my store? I don't want him serving my customers. So that was the end of that. And, and then I got sick with rheumatic fever and I lost a hell of a lot of weight about 1920. And then the whole world changed again. I'd become popular with people. I wasn't obese anymore. I was fit, I was healthy. I was out in a party scene, girls, the whole thing. And then through my twenties and thirties, I was, I was a party boy. Um, and I had all the wrong habits and I developed that sugar and addiction right from the get-go at the convenience store and I just kept eating that type of food. I got heavier and heavier. And then roll the clock forward, 2017, um, the end of, I was in Sydney, Australia and I was visiting my in-laws and I had a really big week of just eating, eating, eating over Christmas as you do, everything in sight. And I thought I was going to blow up, literally. And I got onto a plane and I just felt so bad. 
And I thought, no, this has got to stop. I couldn't fit into the seat. I couldn't do up the belt. It's taken up half my wife's seat. I'm looking at her going, you know, this is the, the light of my life. She's my absolute love. I, I can't die on her. And that was it. And that was the catalyst moment. And so I got off the plane and I, I knew I was a sugar addict. And by that stage, many, many years of fast food addiction, going through the drive-through three or four times a day, I had the double whammy of both. Um, cakes, slices, biscuits. There was no off button. There was no such thing as one slice or one biscuit. It was the whole packet. And so that's on a scale of one to 10, I was an 11 when it came to sugar addiction and fast food addiction. That's to give you a picture. And so I thought, well, how am I going to overcome this? And I, I got hold of this book called Life Less Sugar, which my wife had bought actually on one of her business trips by a New Zealand woman called Amanda J. Tiffin. And I started reading it and it started dawning on me all the foods I actually loved were so high and full of sugar, like tomato sauce, baked beans, all these things I absolutely loved and I ate them in abundance. Orange juice. And I thought, wow, this is why I'm obese. This is these foods that I think weren't too bad. Yogurts, the 99% fat free, a chocolate block of sugar. Anyhow, so... I started learning about nutrition labels and how to read them and that sort of thing. And I spent quite a bit of time in the supermarkets um, understanding how, what, how much sugar was in food. And then it dawned on me, if I stay out of these aisles where all this packaged food is and just walk around the outside of the supermarket in the fruit and veg, the meat section, dairy section, I'm going to keep out of most of the trouble with the sugar. And that really helped, helped a lot. The fast food addiction was easy enough. I just, I stopped going there. And I even got to the point of carrying no money on me at all. So I couldn't buy it. It's like, you know, if you're a drug addict and you got money, you can't buy drugs. Well, I was the same with food. And anyway, I'd gone into this really bad withdrawal period from the sugar addiction. Um, it was horrible. It was three, four weeks. Uh, I spent two days in bed with the doona over my head, climbing the walls, I really, really was in a bad way. Hangry moments, mood swings, you name it. But I managed to get through that. And it started getting easier and I started eating better. And I started reading about, you know, learning about sugar and cutting it right down to almost as low as I could get it. And then at that stage, I didn't know about the hidden sugars. So that was the next step, learning about that. And so I started feeling quite good and I found more sort of alternatives to what I had been eating, Netta, and um, can I, I guess... Ask you what those, um, sorry, can I ask you what those alternatives were? Sure. Um, so I started eating more things like, I guess, more salads, um, more green things. Uh, instead of the biscuits and the cakes, so I just went away from them. I was eating a low-carb, very low-sugar diet, um, I was trying to, I always sort of kept an eye on what sort of carbs and sugar are and things. And so the difference was uh, when I'd eat biscuits and when I'd eat cakes, I wouldn't eat one slice of cake. I'd eat the whole cake or I wouldn't eat one biscuit. I'd eat the whole, whole thing. So I had to do this mindset shift on how I could turn addiction into moderation as well. At the same time, trying to get this down as close to zero as I could. And I knew that the World Health Organization said that men should have less than eight teaspoons of sugar a day. And I worked it out near that I was up around 120. Because I'd be having five cans of Coke a day, mm. or less 50. 
you know, and then yeah. the standard breakfast, the orange juice, yogurt, banana, cereal, milk, 25 teaspoons of sugar before I left the house. Yeah. And so it added up quickly. And I guess I did find all these alternatives. I found out that I loved things like avocado, which I never ate in my life. Right. Um, yeah, just beautiful salads. My wife was making me amazing meals and she was fully on board with what I was doing. And then it was one day I was just Googling around and I saw this word one meal a day lifestyle, intermittent fasting. And my immediate reaction was only weirdos would eat once a day. Who does that? <laughs> Nobody possibly could eat once a day. I'm, I'm a person that eats 30 times a day or I was. Mm. And But I really got intrigued by it and I started thinking about it. And then I got hold of Jim Stevens' book, um, Delay, Don't Deny. I read that and the light bulbs just started going off. I thought, wow, this is great. All I need to do is delay in the day where I eat, I fast, I clean fast. And by clean fasting, we say the black tea, black coffee, water, plain water, plain green tea. And then I eat in a pattern of time. I close my window, repeat. That's all I've got to do. And I thought I could do this. It sounds feasible. You know, I've tried a lot of things in my life, like we all have. I've been on so many diets starting and stopped. They should have called named a chainsaw after me. <laughs> but, so I came to intermittent fasting. I thought, okay, how am I going to do this? And I always got home around five o'clock. So from work. And I thought, okay, I'll start then. And I'll just eat. Well, I thought, well, it's not going to take me four hours to eat. And I'm just going to do a one hour eating window. So I did what's called 23 and one, 23 hours of fasting, one hour eating window. And all this time I was evolving away from the cakes, the biscuits, the bad behavior, um, you know, binging on things in the middle of the night. I got away from all of that. My mindset was turning into, I was so laser focused that I wanted to get this weight off. And I should tell people that when I started, uh, I was a 55 year old guy when I started. Um, six foot five, I was 360 pounds. So I was a huge man, massive, 5XL yeah. um, shirt. And so anyway, I lost a bit of weight in that transition from when I detoxed from sugar. And that was, wasn't easy. And I still had some of the cravings, but not as bad when I started intermittent fasting. So I found it a lot easier to adapt. And then after about three or four months with intermittent fasting, the, the the weight was just melting off me. Um, so at the eighth month mark, I'd lost 100 pounds. Wow. In the first eight months. And so I'd been doing a 23 in one, eating pretty clean food, salads. Um, I'm a big seafood lover. So I was eating a lot of fish, lobster, uh, shellfish. Um, so I could create a really nice meal with some salad and that sort of thing. And a lot of meats. Um, and yeah, I wasn't eating anything like biscuits, all the sugary stuff, the treats, the fast food. I just completely stopped the fast food. In fact, I haven't been in a fast food store or a drive-through now for over three years. Wow. And you're talking to someone that used to visit them three, four times a day. So they had a hook on me. I was It was like a magnet to me, the fast food stores. And so the sugar now was getting out of my system. I was feeling great. And then I started discovering, um, I guess, the health benefits really uh, from intermittent fasting were coming for me. And that was the best thing of all because I had very bad psoriasis on my hands, elbows, knees, knuckles. And I noticed it started going away after about three months. And by six months, it completely vanished off my body. 
And so I thought, well, this must be that I'm not eating all this rubbish that I was eating and all this toxic food and I was eating. And but when I used to see the specialist and I asked them about the diet and I told them that I was a sugar and fast food addict. And they said, no, you're just, it's who you are, it's your makeup. You're going to have that for life. You're never going to get rid of it. Well, six months of intermittent fasting, I got rid of it. And there were so many other things, the energy, the mental clarity, um, crazy things like my eyesight improving. My gums and my teeth were in bad shape from all the years and years of abusive behavior. They started improving Amazing. stronger, pink, healthy. I wasn't getting any bleeding when I was brushing my teeth. Well, I used to get every day when I was a sugar addict. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, is. And then I went on and I had a bit of a plateau at about the 100 pound mark for about two months, never lost any weight. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do here? So I just trusted the process and carried on. Um, eventually, I, I got another 30 pounds off, 132 pounds. So I was at my goal, I was 6'5", 220, and I thought this will do. And, yeah, that's, so that's where I've been. Amazing, amazing. I mean, you know, that is losing over 100 pounds. And the, what is amazing to me or what is, you know, really important to, to mention is that you weren't suffering, you weren't hurting yourself to get this weight off and to get healthier. You did you ever did you not ever feel hungry, um, or did you not ever get cravings? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, hunger comes in two stages, doesn't it, Nita? We have that head hunger where, oh man, I'm so hungry, I'm going to eat a horse and chase a jo jockey, or we have that hunger where. We just don't feel right. We feel off colour. We might feel shaky. We, we just feel like we, we're very weak. So those two types of hunger, I had to learn the differences because firstly, the head hunger, if you have a big glass of water or you get busy or you get distracted, it normally would pass. And for me, I found black coffee was great for getting rid of that hunger. I'd have a black coffee in a, in a sparkling water and I'd be fine. It would usually pass. But yes, I had a couple of days there where I thought, I don't feel great here. Um, I feel a bit off or whatever. And you've got to listen to your body when that happens and maybe open your window up and just eat because your body's telling you that you need something to eat. And if you ignore it and it persists, then yeah, you might be in a bit of trouble. So yeah, I, I did listen to my body in that, that circumstance. Because what I found is that we don't get any sort of education about what real hunger actually feels like. And the, so what we're told, I don't know if it was the case for you, but what I was told when I was younger is you've got to eat every three or four hours or uh, you will like your something will happen to your metabolism. It will screw up your metabolism or your body will think it's in a famine mode. I mean, every three or four hours was like the golden rule and yet that actually has nothing to do with what's good for you yeah correct we're always told breakfast was the most important part of the day but you know i just explained most people would have a you know if i said to somebody okay all i had was um cereal milk a tub of yogurt uh banana i had maybe two flat white coffees and i might have you know an orange juice or maybe a couple of orange juices over a leisurely 30-minute breakfast on the weekend. But it's not until you sit down and you add up all the sugars in that and you go through it 
And the funny thing was, Netta, I was in hospital a couple of months ago and for a routine test. And they in the morning, they made me stay overnight. And in the morning, they came around and said, you want breakfast? And I said, no, I don't want breakfast. I'm, I'm an intermittent faster. I'll, I'll wait till later in the day. Well, they ignored me, of course, and they brought this tray around and put it down. And I looked at it, and I'm, I'm mentally counting in my head. By that stage, I could automatically look at food and, and be able to tell you exactly, almost to a T, what was in it. So this is a hospital environment. The tray they bought me had 28 teaspoons of sugar on it, roughly. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is a hospital, and they're giving me 28 teaspoons of sugar. Do they know if I've got any diabetes problems, or do they know if I've got this or that? And I was actually talking to a nutritionist on my podcast, um, Shana Hassan from Faster Heal. And she said to me, yeah, that's about right. Um, most hospital meals are about 25 teaspoons of sugar, roughly. And I was thinking, wow. Yeah. So if you're in hospital, you're getting 75 teaspoons of sugar a day, not counting the candy and the snacks that your family might bring or the chocolate you're eating out of boredom. And you're sitting in the hospital. And I was thinking, wow, it's no wonder we have this problem that I like, you know, this obesity pandemic. and it is a pandemic, and I think a lot of it is driven by, by sugar and, and hidden sugars. Oh, yeah, I believe you. I mean, yes, you're preaching to the converted here, for sure. And, and not only are they serving up all this sugar in, in you know, hospitals and food and, and uh, schools and all sorts of sort of public places, but the, the message that we get when we either refuse it or refuse any food or, you know, for, for fasting, the message that we get is, no, no, it's unhealthy not to eat three or four times a day. That, yeah. you, have you found that that was a message that you got as well? Oh, look, I got a bit of pushback um, from friends and family in the beginning and you're starving yourself and all the rest of it. And I always say to people now, I say, I've never been to a funeral, Netta, where they've given a eulogy and say, say here lies the bones of Graham and he didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> or here lies the bones of Graham and he didn't eat lunch. I mean, it's just a load of cods wallop saying you're starving yourself because what's worse, being 350 pounds and pretty close to being in a coffin or actually retaking your health, thinking about what you're eating, getting that sugar out of your system, getting your weight down and living a healthy and beautiful life. And then the other thing is those people that are saying you're starving yourself. Let's get this straight too, Netta. Every single person on this planet fasts because if they're sleeping, they're fasting. It might be eight, nine hours a night and they're fasting. They're not eating. They're in a fasted state. So they wake up. What's the first thing they do? They eat breakfast. Now, how is breakfast spelt? Break fast. And that's what it was. You traditionally broke your fast after your overnight rest. And when I say to people, well, hey, you fast too. You just do it a shorter time than me. All I do is wait till a bit later. And then they go, oh, yeah, I suppose when you think about it like that. And so that's how I get around that sort of negativity or, you know, I refer them to some, you know, science if they want to look at it, great. Um, but for me, it was the experiment of one. And I sort of made the decision early on not to tell everybody and anybody about it mm -hmm. because I've told so many people in my life that I was on a diet or I was trying to lose weight and they'd just roll their eyes and say, yeah, whatever, Graham. You know, and then I'd bounce back and then say, what happened to that diet you're on? And when I started intermittent fasting, I thought, this is different. This is 
this is going to work. This is sustainable. I can do this. And I had that mental shift from that addiction to getting the weight off. And once I started getting the results and people were looking at me and they could, the psoriasis going, I mean, people used to say to me, how come you don't have that psoriasis anymore? Where is it? And I said, well, it's gone. Well, how did you do that? You can't get rid of that. That's all I did. And they say, well, must be something in this intermittent fasting that you're doing. I say, yeah, I was just cleaning out. What I say to people is I eat later in the day. I keep my insulin low as possible through the clean fast. And I allow myself to regenerate and take out the trash of my body. That's the, the simplest layman's term that I can explain it to people what's happening with me. Yeah, and I try to keep thing. down on a low sugar, low carb diet. And it's been working for me. And, and then when the results were getting to 100 pounds, 110 pounds, 120 pounds, people were gravitating towards me. And most people that were negative, in fact, I had three friends organize a weight loss intervention because they felt that I was losing too much weight. And two of those friends now do intermittent fasting, funny enough. And so, yeah. And then I had people in my circle, colleagues. I, I work in agriculture. I work with some farmers. Some farmers came forward and they said, we'd love to do this. Um, and now they're doing it. They've had great results. And I guess I personally mentor in my circle and um, probably about 70 people um, that have seen my results and gone on and, and wanted to do it themselves. And so, yeah, I reckon just let your results do the talking and, and don't spruik it out to everybody at the beginning. Yeah, makes sense. And and it seems to me, I mean, I'm no expert in any of, of, of you know the health field, and I'm certainly no weight loss expert. Um, but it seems to me there's like two ways of losing weight or losing 100 pounds plus in your case, a healthy way and an unhealthy way. I mean, you could, you know, history has shown that there is an unhealthy way to lose weight by either a famine or a war or a concentration camp or just stop eating, you know, for it, because of factors outside of your control. I mean, if you just don't eat, obviously you're going to lose weight until you, you just waste away. That's one thing. And there, there have been studies with the starvation studies and all that kind of thing. But what, what I understood from your experience is that you have lost weight in a healthy way and healthy being... You eat healthy, you feel healthy, you feel great, you're not suffering in any way, shape or form, and you just feel better. Yeah, and we mentioned alternatives before. I mean, okay, so if I want a burger, I'll have a burger, but it'll be made at home. I'll make the burger myself. It might be in a wrapped up in, a, in some cos lettuce or something rather than, a, you know, the full-on bun, bread bun. But if I want a pizza, I'll make a homemade pizza because I know what's in it. And I don't buy the chemically laden foods that come from the processed facilities at these fast food stores. And you just, you can still eat some of these things. And now the proof in the pudding for me, as far as intermittent fasting goes, is that it's sustainable in the fact that I've kept this weight off for nearly two years. Amazing. And that, that hasn't been that difficult. I've just used those tools that I've, I've found to keep in that goal range, if my weight spikes a little, then I'll rein it back in, I'll tighten my window up. If my goes down below a weight that I think is too low, 
then I'll up my intake, I'll widen my window. So it's just using those levers to pull backwards and forwards and keep in that range and the ship's sailing well. And I do like to weigh daily because for me, the scale is the truth machine. It's my accountability buddy. I don't freak out about the number. Um, I know after a weekend, if I've had 16 and eights on Saturday and Sunday and I've had some extra intake, my weight's gonna be up on the Monday. And it's normally, you know, extra carbohydrates or water weight. And as we know, Neta, we see a lot in our groups where people absolutely get beside themselves and they think they have to do these massive long fasts um, in some form of punishment because they overdid it on the weekend. So it's important to make this a lifestyle and not to get too consumed about the weight loss. And if you're feeling great and you just feel better about yourself and you know, maybe your clothes are fitting better. There's a lot of wins in this, isn't there? Yes, oh, definitely, definitely. And I think it's really important what you're saying that, you know, there's, A, you don't freak out with the number on the scale and you're, you're doing this out of self-love and not, uh, you know, self imposing some kind of rules on yourself or attaching any kind of negative connotations to uh, we know I've put on two pounds over the weekend. I'm terrible. I should now punish myself. None of that. I, I, I think it, that belongs to the diet mentality. And from what I can tell, that is off your radar. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't even think about that. And I guess in the early stages when I was doing intermittent fasting, I was so laser focused. I wasn't going to move for anybody. I was doing that 23 and 1. I did find the social aspect hard because I was a pretty big party boy. I loved it. I loved so I was a social person. I, I really loved a party. I loved an event. Um, I loved friends. I loved company. And so I sort of withdrew a bit from that because I thought I've just got to get away from that a bit because I need to get my head around this fasting. I need to get the head around eating better, um, transitioning out of the things I used to eat, making alternatives. And it was all too much to try and do everything else at once. And then now, now that I've got it under control and I look back at that time, I would say to people, we know Saturday's not a special occasion, but unfortunately a lot of special occasions happen on a Saturday and life can pass us by pretty quick. So if Netta's, you know, birthday's coming up next week or your friend's getting married next week, well, sometimes there is an occasion where you may be flexible in what you're doing with your lifestyle that we lead in, in intermittent fasting. And yes, diet mentality has to go out the window. But the best thing of all, Netta, this whole thing has taught me is how to love myself first and how to find that self-love in me so I can then extend that love to everything else I do and everybody around me. Because when I was a sugar addict, I only ever tasted addiction. I didn't taste the food. I just wanted the cakes, I wanted the lollies, I wanted the biscuits. I used to keep food in my car, I used to hide it under my seat. I was a closet eater. Nobody ever used to see me eating because I spent most of the time in my car in secret. Um, I would sit in my office desk at work, I would have stuff in the drawers. I would hide it from everybody and I'd get rid of the evidence. And so, yeah, I tasted my addiction all those years and then all of a sudden I started tasting the food. Once I got rid of the sugar addiction, I thought, I can actually taste this, savor it, enjoy it. 
And then I could sit back and mindful eating, slow, deliberate. And it taught me about that too. And now my window period when I eat with my fasting journey, it's almost like theater meta. It's like I create it, I sit down, I enjoy it, I savor it, and then I just reflect on it and then start again the next day. And for me, that has been a huge win for me. Amazing. Yes, I totally get it. And it's like I say that, you know, when you're looking for any kind of self-love or comfort or reward in sugar, then that's where you'll find it. But if you carry that with you, if you develop that from your, for yourself, the self-love, the reward, the comfort for yourself, and you carry that with you all the time, then you don't need sugar to, to, for anything. It's, it's been crowded out by your own self-care. Yeah, and with sugar, it's, the tricky part is when you're a sugar addict is, okay, you can stop the obvious, like the cakes. You know what is, is your issue. You know what's causing you the issue, the chocolate in the house, everything else. So one, you've got to stop buying it. I know that sounds simplistic, but as I said, when you start shopping around the outside of the supermarket and keeping out of the aisles, straight away, you're going to cut down 70% of the sugar intake in your body. And then if you can get it down slightly a bit lower and lower, you get to the point where you have found all these different alternatives around the outside or other foods that aren't so bad that you, you know by now because you've educated yourself what's in food. Like I never knew there was 10 teaspoons of sugar in Coke. I never used to look at the labels. Mm. I used to just drink it because I like Coke. And I drank millions of them. And yeah, I'm surprised I'm still alive when I think about the amount of sugar that I had. And when I, just to wind back a bit, when I mentioned I read that book, The Life Less Sugar, and then I watched that movie, um, that sugar film. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, that. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. It was the yeah, first Australian. Movie about sugar. Yeah, the Australian filmmaker, Damien Garneau. And, and I watched that and I was just, whoa, this is like horrified me. I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is me and this, this dude's healthy and he's showing, he's demonstrating by eating the sugar content, eating the actual sugar of the whatever was in that drink or whatever it was that he did and what happened to his body over that trial period that he went on. And that really blew my mind. And then I watched a, another show called Is Sugar the You Fat with a guy called Nigel Latter from New Zealand. And after educating myself with those sorts of things, reading the book, reading the nutrition labels, the next step was, what's the hidden sugar? Where is it? And it soon dawned on me, whenever I saw something that said 99% fat-free or sugar-free, it was in the avoid camp because there is no such thing as 99% sugar-free. Because if you have a close look at that packet, you'll see all these funny names on there. Well, take your phone out, Google them, and see what it says. It's the same with, you know, lots of foods. There's so many hidden sugars in them now. And I don't know how many meetings these people have or sit around and come up and dream up these names. for, And they're just sugar substitutes. And anybody that's got an addiction problem or you're going to crave, that's where it keeps coming because you don't know what the hidden sugars are. And so once you work that out, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, I think we owe it to ourselves to become smarter consumers um, and to know this stuff because, you know, I don't, I don't like demonizing like any sugar or even the processed foods industry, although it's tempting to do that. But, you know, they do have 
a profit to turn and they do sit around and spend millions of dollars engineering these foods so that they are crave worthy you know and that they do hide the the different words for sugar because well they're not really hidden they're right there on the label but we we don't often take the time to look but i mean that you know i've, I've had people say well just a bit you know come on you, you can't go crazy and start looking at every single label did you get that sort of thing said to you oh for sure and i think it's important too that no we, we don't want to demonize anybody or even people that love sugar if you love sugar knock yourself out but here's the thing that you just need to understand what it's doing to you if you've got a problem if it's causing your obesity or causing you to weight gain or you're severely overweight, then you need to do something about it. You need to educate yourself around it. And I don't judge anybody, but there's a huge difference netter between addiction and moderation. And the majority of people in this world know what moderation is. Sugar addiction is a disease. It's like any other disease that people get. It just becomes a mental issue. And so, People always say about obese people, well, why can't you just stop? Why can't you just eat less and move more? Well, how simple would that be if everybody could do that? And they don't understand that the mental side of it, and it is a disease. Obesity is a disease. It's a pandemic that we're facing now. It's one of the biggest problems we've got in this world. And there's more people died in this last year of obesity-related illnesses than what the COVID-19 um, disease has caused and that's a fact and yet we're not in the tailspin or shutting down industries or putting industries in lockdown and look they've got a place so they need to make money and everything else and like i said some people might go out and they might have a piece of cake and love it great and they just enjoy it and that's fine or they might open a packet of biscuits and have one with a cup of tea or two that's fine or go out for a high tea a lovely high tea i used to love them myself me too and yeah, and you can't demonize somebody for that and stand on your soapbox and say, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. But it's just important to educate yourself. And if you do have a problem and you know you've got a problem, intermittent fasting isn't going to fix it. Because if you carry addiction into intermittent fasting, when that window opens, you're just going to go hell for leather on all the wrong foods. The thing is, if you that was that's the big if, if you know you've got a problem, now, I was in denial that I ever had a problem and I, I never had a weight issue to sort of show me that I had a problem. So my problem was elsewhere, my digestion, fatty, you know, signs of a fatty liver and, and, and inflammation and all that kind of thing. So that I think that is very smart what you said, you know, you, if you know you have a problem and of course that is the toughest thing is to recognize it and admit to yourself, hang on, I think I've got a problem. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think most obese people know what their root cause of their problem is. It could be, you know, just zero exercise and eating all the wrong things. You know, and let's face it, some people have a weight issue because of a medical condition. That, that, that's possible. And there are people in that camp that just no matter what they do, their weight just keeps blowing up for whatever reason. And so it's important to go and get all these things checked out. And I think also the surprising thing for me was the blood work. 
When I went to the doctor after about a year of intermittent fasting, I had all the rubbish out of my body. She was looking at my blood work like I was a different person. She was going, this is crazy. This is like, you've got all these markers that are so great and compared to what they were before. And, you know, you look like you're, you're aging backwards and your skin, what's, what's happening here? And then I told her about intermittent fasting and she didn't really know what it was. And then I explained about Jen Stevens and her books and she wrote them down. And now when I go and see her, in fact, I saw her today. I gave her a copy of my book, The Fasting Highway. And, um, <laughs> yeah, she said she's actually been looking into it and doing studies and, and we are finding more doctors and medical people are getting on board. Um, and with sugar in that, we're seeing more and more now. Just recently, I've really noticed a spike in people in the group saying, yeah, we actually recognize we've got a problem. Um, we're doing a 30-day sugar-free challenge or we're doing this to address it or that to address it. Whereas before, it was like, don't ever tell me that I can't have sugar or, or they'd really be angry about it. And, you know, I'm, I've never done that to anybody. I've never said you can't have sugar mm. because some people can have sugar, Netta, and they can enjoy it. And, and as we talked about, moderation versus addiction, two totally different things. And now my mind has been rewired to a point where I can sit down and have half a piece of cake or a thin piece of cake and, 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 and enjoy it and leave it. Whereas I don't need to go back and eat the whole cake or I don't wake up, wake up in the middle of the night and everyone's asleep and I'm the guy out in the kitchen and gets the Tim Tams out of the fridge and eats them all. Or I get a bar of chocolate and break off a couple of pieces on the way back to bed and eat them. And I used to do that regularly or drive to work in my car. and I used to have food stuffed under my seat, you know, sugary food, chocolate, potato chips, you name it, just in case I faded away on the way to work. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all that behavior. And for me, this whole thing is 90% mental. mental. Yeah. I mean, your, your health has improved beyond recognition and your behavior has also improved is what I can tell. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's a total rewire of my mindset. I now have my mind is controlling my body and not my body controlling my mind. And that's the difference. It's, you know, I can, I don't even look at fast food places or drive throughs now. When I drive past them, my car used to almost be automatic pilot. I would drive near a fast food place that will go in. I was on first name basis with the people that worked there. And they knew what I had, standard order in the morning, two muffins and a white coffee. After I'd eaten that 27 teaspoons of sugar for my breakfast, yeah. mind you. And then some days I had an hour commute. I might stop for a second time because I thought I might, you know, fade away again. And so, and then my workmates and colleagues and, you know, they'd be having the cakes for parties at work, birthdays, that sort of thing. And that closet eating, I'd be the guy that would say, oh, no, no, I, I'm all right. I don't need anything to eat. I'm, I'm cool. You know, I'd just sit in my office and I'd be snacking away on the stuff I had in my drawers. And I'd wait till they go home and I'd go to the fridge and I'd get that cake and I'd eat it. And then they'd come in and sell the cleaner, must eat it, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the things that people that have these types of addictions do, that behavior. Yes. And we all know it. We all get that sneaky chocolate in our, you know, our back pocket or whatever. And we pick up something extra as we're going through at a party and we just think nobody's watching us. So we eat it. And now when I go to parties, um, 
was sugar and I mean, beer was a big problem for me. Um, so I had to find an alternative. We, we keep talking about alternatives because there is. So I started drinking vodka and soda, which was a lot more cleaner sugar-wise. And then I'd be the guy that'd be hanging around the cheese board rather than a dessert bar at a function. I mean, I, I organize a lot of conferences for work. Um, I go to a lot of conferences and events. And so, yeah, that was important too, that I had to know how to handle those things. Yeah, and, and you know, I, from what I hear from you, there, again, there is no denial, no self-denial, no suffering. You're not controlling anything. You're not sort of walking around saying, I've got to not eat or I've got to not eat this cake. You're, do you feel free? Oh, free as a bird. I mean, freedom is a, a word we hear often in this community um, from people that have lost vast amount of weights. I mean, when you really think about it, see, when I started off, I visualized about what can I actually do without this weight? What's holding me back? I mean, I've done a lot of traveling in this world, Netta. I've flown around this world two, three times, and it's always been a struggle as an obese guy. So I never fitted in. Sometimes I'd go on a pointy end because I had to, so I couldn't fit in. Um, but then the most freeing aspect for me has been things like getting onto an aircraft, sitting down, being able to fit in, okay. Nobody terrified that I was gonna sit next to them, right? Which I you, I could see the look of terror on people's faces when I walked down that aisle, don't sit next to me, because they knew what it was gonna be like. And so that's just horrible things that we go through as an obese person, going to a restaurant, getting invited to a friend's party or birthday, and you walk in and they've got those flimsy deck chairs in there and you are 350 pounds versus a flimsy deck chair, well, guess what's going to happen? And then you might go to a, a restaurant where you can't fit into a booth or you go to the movies and they have, you know, funny old wooden seats that fold down that, you know, just aren't going to hold your weight. So there's so many freeing moments. Um, the moment where I learned that I could run, uh, once I got the 100 pounds off, I started exercising more because I didn't have that burden of weight. And then one day I was out walking and I burst out into a run and I was so emotional and started crying and thinking, I can run. I, I never run because I was so obese. I just couldn't run. It was like a Forrest Gump movie with the calipers breaking off. You know? <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah like, and after that, I just thought, well, I can do anything. And I always remember getting refused um, onto a helicopter at the Grand Canyon in America. Um, the guy, the pilot said, look, we're overweight and you're just too heavy. I'm sorry, but I can't take you. And so I had to trudge off while everyone else went on the helicopter. And so that's something I haven't done yet, but I want to. And I remember things like clothes. I've, I've talked about on my podcast many times. The most freeing aspect at all was being able to wear any clothes I wanted, buy clothes wherever I wanted, high-end, nice suits, whatever. Because when I was obese, obesity chose my clothing. I didn't yeah, that's amazing. That's all those wonderful benefits of, you know, freeing yourself from sugar addiction and from sort of that general belief that you've got to eat this or you've got to eat this often. And it's very freeing for me, at least. Um, and you can tell me if it is for you as well to, to free yourself from all these messages that have been imposed on you. Yeah, it is. And uh... Well, it's just a rewiring of how you think about things and putting all those things in the past. And 
I know now I walk past a bakery. I, I, when I look at this, is a funny thing, Netta. When I look at a bakery display, and it's got all the cakes and everything in there and the slices, I don't see food. What I see is just sugar. Mm. It's like looking at a big bowl of sugar now. I'm visualising in my mind. And I just don't want that food. I just seriously don't want it. And like, I don't, I can't tell you the last time I had even a diet soda or a diet coke, or I just, I just have no inclination to have them. Like fast food, I have no inclination. Just my whole way, and I'd rather have like a nice lobster and some salad, um, something lovely tonight. I had steak and you know a few other bits and pieces and. You know, I just don't need this food in my life. And I don't need to go and buy a packet of lollies. I don't need to buy a packet of biscuits. I can enjoy a cup of tea or a coffee without five or six, or there wasn't five or six, it was a packet. And then sometimes if there was two, I'd get two. Um, you know, I was known for getting up all hours in the night and going to the service station down the road because I knew it was open all night and I could go and get chocolate, bars of chocolate. I loved it. And now I very rarely have chocolate. And if I do, it might be some dark chocolate or something. I've just worked out alternatives, which is better. And now I know how to read all the labels. so I can just find an alternative. But I just wanted to say to anybody out there that is obese or severely overweight and they think they can't do it and the mountain's too high to climb, well, you can. Yeah, if you can do it, anyone can do it. And, you know, you lost more weight than I weigh you know so it's like you don't have to be I often say for myself you don't have to have a weight issue to feel better without food like well without the yeah. sugary food oh look and that's the truth because my father let's my father is an example uh he lived to 90 years old my father was probably worse sugar addict than I was and yet he never had a weight issue he was 12 stone 72 kilos his whole life and my dad used to have two bars of chocolate a day, right? And in between, he'd have so much sugar in his diet, it wasn't funny. And he lived to 90 and he, wasn't, he didn't have a weight issue. So we all know those people that, that don't, but internally, they may not be that great. And he may have been in the, you know, but he did exercise a lot. So he rode his bike up too close when he was 90 and he walked a lot. So that might have equalized out some of what he was doing, but... But when we see people, sometimes they look like they live in a gym and they go five days a week or whatever, and they don't. They just naturally like that and they can eat whatever they want. And we, we have these people in the groups that say, yeah, we, we eat whatever we like and we're losing weight and we dirty fast and we put cream in our coffee and we have bone broth and all this and we're losing weight. And hey, that's great. Whatever works for you. But, right. you know, that's we all do things differently. Yeah, yeah. And life's unfair. You know, some people... Can, can not put on weight. I mean, I, I'm like that. And, but on the other hand, you know, I had to, had all these like emotional and psychological issues to get over with sugar. So it's, again, weight is not the only marker to-, to no. And it's just that mental thing of knowing that you were a sugar addict in your case. I mean, weight wasn't your issue. It was the mental side of it where you used yeah. It was torturing you because you you had that mental issue around it. It wasn't so much the weight that you were carrying. Exactly. It was the shame and the guilt of, of your addiction. And that's why now you find it so freeing that you don't have that sort of, you know, weight on your mind, so to speak. <laughs> and even though you never had a weight issue, you, you found that you just have a better life without sugar. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly that. 
Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's very inspiring to know just how, you know, not just dropping sugar, but intermittent fasting, how much that's influenced your life for the better. Wonderful. Yeah, it has. And I will say for people, life after obesity is great. And I always say to people, it's like being beamed up like Star Trek Enterprises and obese guy, and then beamed back down as a normal person, and the whole world's different. And Amazing. All I'll say to you, the final words I would say to people, dig deep and remember the why. Remember the why. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Graham, so much. That's okay, Nina. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. Wow, that was such an inspiring interview with Graham. And so amazing that cutting out sugar and processed foods and intermittent fasting was the key for Graham. And we're all different. We all have different ways of breaking free from sugar, and I think it's so wonderful to hear different stories from different people. And I invite you to go to my website to get some free resources to help you break free from sugar. My website is aftersugarclub.com. That's aftersugarclub.com. You'll be able to download my simple guide to help you get more energy with less sugar. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.